Welcome to Defining Endurance, a podcast focused on providing actionable insights for endurance athletes. Whether you're an athlete just getting started in endurance sports or a veteran looking to gain an edge, the Defining Endurance podcast is here to ask curious questions with athletes and fitness professionals, and most importantly, dive deep on current training topics so you can become the best version of yourself. Let us wait no longer. Let's dive into this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Defining Endurance. In this episode, head coach Andrew Simmons sits down with Dr. Anna Roby of Athlete Blood Testing to talk about what blood testing really is and why it is important for every athlete, whether you're elite, everyday, female, youth, or somewhere in between. They will discuss ideal levels, how certain foods can give you extra power, and why it might be the secret to your next great event. If you are interested in getting your blood tested, go to athletebloodtesting.com and use the promo code DE15 for a 15% off discount. Again, that is athletebloodtesting.com, DE15. Once you get your results, connect with one of our lifelong endurance coaches and we will help you unlock the secret to your optimal performance. All right, guys, welcome back to the Defining Endurance podcast. I'm your host, Coach Andrew Simmons of Lifelong Endurance, and today I've got Dr. Anna Roby with me. Uh, we are actually going to talk a little bit today all about blood testing. Um, she works for a company called Athlete Blood Test, which is a company that I have used and have recommended to uh, a number of my athletes uh, over the years. And one of the things I'm really excited to talk about um, isn't just why do we need blood testing, but what's the actual benefit that we gain here? Uh, so I, I'm really excited for uh, this discussion. And thanks again for joining me today. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm really excited to chat with you here. This is going to be fun. Um, before we actually kind of get into the nitty gritty of things, um, I, I'd love to understand a little bit more about your background. Um, have you always called Minneapolis home? I have, yes. Um, I was born and raised in the Twin Cities here, and I've been an athlete my whole life. So I really enjoy sports and athletics. Just being active, it's always felt really good to me. And so when I got to college, I did a double major in exercise physiology and nutritional science. And then after my bachelor's degree, I pursued a combined PhD registered dietitian position at Cornell University, where I was able to earn my um, dietetics credentials. So do a dietetic internship simultaneously while working on my doctoral research. So I was able to streamline that and really dove into sort of metabolism, biochemistry, and also leaning more towards that practitioner side with the registered dietitian credentials. And then after I finished up my research, I moved out to Washington, D.C., and I was doing some research at the National Institutes of Health, or NIH, in Bethesda, Maryland, where I was doing some research on um, ketogenic diets and um, some aging and just a couple other really cool topics. So I have a pretty broad background, but I've always sort of been anchored in sports nutrition because that's the lens through which I see the world as an athlete myself. I love it. So bring us into your, your world as an athlete. You guys can't see it, of course, because this is a podcast. You're listening to us. Uh, but in, in the background of the video here, uh, I see, I see a, a nice bike on a trainer. Are you uh, mostly a cyclist? 
Uh, no, I do some cycling. I wouldn't say I'm primarily a cyclist, though. Um, I got my, uh, it's a Trek Amanda, and it's a 47, and they don't make 47s anymore. I'm really petite, so for those of you who are listening, so I was thrilled that I was able to get a bike that fit me. Um, so I got that in Washington, D.C., and I've really enjoyed riding around the district and the DMV area out east. And then um, I moved back to the Twin Cities after um, finishing up research at the NIH, and I started a private practice as well as working with athlete blood test. So I, I do quite a variety of training now. Um, I haven't been competing recently because of COVID, but I enjoy running. Um, I I did an obstacle course race and as well as triathlon. So pretty pretty mixed bag um, at the moment. Just enjoying being active. You know, I I think when it when it comes to um, you know athletics, I think we we talk about you know blood testing a lot more than you know we would as you know more sedentary people. I think most of the time when uh, we think about blood testing, it's usually because something's wrong. Uh, especially when we go to the doctor, right? So there's this imperative that if they're if they're drawing blood, something right is is isn't you know some, something isn't right. Um, and so you know, you know personally, you know when I I you know I know we don't we don't know each other all that well, but I went through a journey of where I've I've lost about 85 pounds. Um, and so for me, you know, when I had to get my blood tested as a bigger guy, they're like, hey, like you're in your early 20s and your your cholesterol is really high and all this other stuff. And it was that was part of a wake up call. One, I hate getting my blood drawn, and two, um, you know, I was I was in my early 20s. I'm like, I'm young, like oh man. And uh, you know, being from Michigan, you know, my family in general, you know, there we're, we're bigger people, um, you know, and so it was like one of those things. Where like, oh, I can't. I can't do whatever thing everybody else is doing around me. And so one of the questions I had for you um, was, you know, if I were to give you a blood test of say, you know, your, your husband, uh, you know, works out every day, triathlete, professional triathlete, and someone like myself in my early twenties, what's going to jump off the paper to you and say, okay, this is how I know without any other information, you know, how, how what, what are you going to see? Yeah, that's a great question. So no two athletes are alike, and it's difficult to dichotomize people into sedentary versus athletes. But in general, we do see some trends with people who are training, I would say, more aggressively or have a higher training load of, let's say, 10 hours or more per week versus Mm. a healthy sedentary person. So if you look at these two, the athlete will likely have lower testosterone levels, a higher BUN and or BUN to creatinine ratio. They'll usually have elevated um, liver enzymes or LFTs and creatine kinase, which is a breakdown um, of muscle. Also, we tend to see vitamin D insufficiency or even deficiency in some athletes, usually lower ferritin levels, which is your stored iron. And sometimes you see um, elevated HDL and LDL in the athletes. Mm. So you definitely can see some trends and changes between a sedentary and an athlete or a more active individual. Yeah, actually, it's really interesting. You said vitamin D because I actually had a stress fracture. And, um, one of the, you know, one of the things that I had come up, um, actually in some blood work that I had done, um, right around that time was that actually my vitamin D was really low. And, you know, afterwards they're like, oh, well this, this might, you know, have played a role in, in your stress fracture. And I'm like, wait, like I've always associated stress fractures and calcium right? Like, 
So what, what's happening there and why, and I've seen more people with low vitamin D and a higher incidence of, of fractures or stress fractures, post-tibial or excuse me, tibial or, or even um, uh, tarsal. So vitamin D is really important for calcium absorption. And so vitamin D and calcium and also vitamin K2, they tend to go together for bone health. So sometimes you'll even see vitamin uh, D paired with vitamin K2, which improves the absorption and, and bone health to make sure that you're getting, you know, optimal bone density and you're not losing any of those nutrients because you have to have all pieces of the puzzle as it were to have healthy strong bones. So if you're missing any of those components, you're not going to be optimally nourishing your bones to get the best bone density you can. Right on. I th- I know that um you know a lot of people say, "Oh, orange juice and iron." And I'm I'm like, "Okay, I get it. You know, it's supposed to help, you know, uh, I mean, it, it doesn't actually help you absorb more. Does it help you like explain, explain the whole orange juice iron thing for those that may not understand? Yes. So the theory behind that is you want to pair an acid or vitamin C, which is ascorbic acid with non-heme iron. So, it, you know, usually supplements will have non-heme iron or plant sources of iron. Those are all going to be non-heme. And so vitamin C actually does enhance the absorption of non-heme iron. So taking it with like a squirt of lemon juice, or in your case, you mentioned orange juice, you could do like balsamic vinegar or like, you know, tomatoes if you're having more of like a meal source. But yeah, taking Mm. a supplement with an iron supplement with vitamin C um, or an acid of other sorts can absolutely help increase the absorption. You know, when I went to, you know, when I go, when I go to the doctor now and I get a, I get my blood drawn, um, you know, they, they asked, do you, do you work out a lot? You know, like, and things like, like that, you know, a number of hours per day, because, you know, I tend to get, you know, different flags on my test than most other people. Um, and so, you know, some of these athletes that are, you know, just kind of bridging that gap of, uh, you know, maybe that eight, 10 hours kind of workload. Um, what are the things that, you know, you'd see in an athlete that, wouldn't maybe show up on a blood test uh, for a more sedentary person, even though they're, you know, the sedentary person would presume to be healthy? Yeah. So this is a good question. So a lot of athletes come to us after they've been to their general practitioner and they're feeling frustrated because they might think that, you know, something's not quite right. Intuitively, they're like, something's off. Maybe they're feeling really fatigued. So they go to their doctor and they do blood work and the doctor says, hey, everything is fine. Everything's normal. You're good to go. And it's really frustrating as an athlete because you're like, no, I know that something isn't quite right, but I'm not getting answers Mm. from my doctor. And so this is where um, athlete blood tests can really be beneficial because it isn't until, you know, they come to us, they can quickly see what's going on physiologically and then get the answers and actionable insights to remedy that situation to get them back into that, you know, that range where they feel like they're doing well and, and they're able to function at their best or what they're used to or wanting to feel like. Right. I think one of the things that, um, you know, in, in even thinking to sit down with you today, I was like, man, like the word optimum always comes up. Like every time like you research, it's like, oh, your optimum, optimum, optimum level. It's like, well, what is, what is optimum? You know, like where are these standards set and are they different for, you know, athletes versus sedentary people? And like, do you ever really reach it? Yeah. And you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a great question. And what is optimum for you might not be optimum for your brother or, you know, 
your right. mom or your dad. So every athlete is different. And it's really important to get to know you as an individual because that's where you're really going to tap into your true potential is when you understand how your body functions and not just mm. going off of recommendations from Google or the internet or just general recommendations. So what I tell my athletes, like if you get general advice, you're going to get general results. And I would argue no one totally. listening to this podcast is going for general or average. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. And I think where the, the beautiful crossover is, is when um, I've worked with my athletes on, you know, trying to say, okay, we know something is off, right? Whether it's, you know, fatigue, or we're not able to manage the same training load that we have before. Um, or if the average, you know, easy aerobic run just feels super hard, and there's not a whole lot else that we can kind of dial into as like, why they'd be feeling tired. Um, you know, I see a big difference between working with my, you know, high performance youth athletes, right? Especially my young females. Um, and we, we can talk all about anemia in a little bit. Um, but most of the time when I'm going to recommend one of my adult athletes get their blood test, you know, usually it's either very early on just to kind of figure out a baseline, but then also it's usually if we're seeing some fatigue or we're not being able to manage a training load that was, you know, in, in prior months, easy to, to achieve. So my question is, is that from your perspective, like when should people really seek out, you know, blood testing? And is it something that it's like a regular checkup? Should they do it every three months or six months or nine months? Absolutely. So unfortunately, too many athletes come to us when they're symptomatic. They wait until they're feeling fatigued or run down or, you know, something along those lines, which is fine because we, you know, will help all athletes. However, we are best implemented as a standard part of your training. So we can be an early warning system to really, you know, be there before they're symptomatic and provide continuous and insightful data on what their physiology needs at any given time throughout the season or even in the off season. So typically you want to test um, three times a year. So the first would be um, on the baseline. So like in the off season when their body's not under mm -hmm. the stress of training or competing. And then about three months into their training plan when they are, you know, under that training stress and then six weeks before their A race. And this is um, important because it gives us enough time to make any changes or any tweaks to get them into that sort of athlete ideal range um, so that they're physiologically primed to do their best for their A-race. I think you nailed it right there. Like, like hard stop, right? Like you, you, you take six weeks. It, it, it's not one of these things where it's like, all right, I, I took my iron supplement last night. I'm going to feel good tomorrow. Yeah. And it doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that because there's, there's like an absorption rate, right? That we, we also don't always take in everything that we get and we can leave that for another day. But like, that's, I think so huge is that we, we, we talk to physical therapists on this podcast all the time. And, you know, the best physical therapist is the one that you see on a regular basis. And you're like, I need a little bit of a tune up and a, a subtle adjustment, right? Move the needle 10 degrees this way, five degrees that way versus like, all right, well, my iron's at 17. Exactly. You know, my ferritin levels at 17. And you're just, it's like, man, all right, well, how long is this going to take to get back to a normal range? Right, right. And that's something that we see oftentimes too. And like, so going back to your earlier question, um, you know, about the, the doctors, you know, I think the ideal or the normal iron range for ferritin for, you know, the general population 
you know, is 15. And that is way too low for most athletes. And it's the same thing with other nutrients too, B12, folate. We see these a lot where they're in the quote unquote normal range for people, but it's suboptimal for an athlete who's training, you know, the number of hours that they are. No, I, I love that. And I think, um, you know, what, what you stated there is that it, it kind of answered one of the questions that I had is like, you know, should it drive our performance, you know, in, and I think is, is there room there then for saying, um, you know, there is a crossover between, you know, blood levels and performance, um, and, and the coaching side of it, right. As, as an endurance coach, like being able to have that information and saying, okay, we're, we can, we can now, you know, trust that we're, we're healthy to be able to go and move into this, this six week block of, of training. This gives us kind of our, our go card. Um, and I think what a lot of people, they just, they don't do that. They don't look and say, all right, you know, do I have everything I need to be able to, to process this? Cause most people think it's just this mental will they have to put their head down. It's like, man, there's so much untapped potential in, in what your blood work is saying. So, you know, from a, a, I guess, a performance perspective, you know, we talk about hematocrit levels. Um, we talk about things like that. What are good indicators of performance? Like if you looked at somebody, like we said earlier, like even say your husband's like, you know, where are the things that are like, oh, wow, this guy has, you know, quote unquote, great blood. Um, you know, what do those things look like? Like, I, I know that we've always talked about optimal levels, but what is, what does that really look like? Yeah, so this is really where repeat testing comes into play. So the nice thing about blood testing is it kind of has compound interest, as I say. So the value builds over time. So repeat testing is important because we want to see how your body is changing and giving us clues over time. Because if I just take your blood right now, I'm going to get a snapshot in time, but it might not give us the best insights into you know, overall, how does that compare to you normally? And so this is why we recommend getting a baseline test as well. Because then when you were in your training, we have something to compare it to. So we're comparing it to you as an individual, because maybe you tend to just run a little high in some things and a little lower in others. And that's your happy place. But you wouldn't know that if we just have one test. So and otherwise, um, you know, your body's changing and giving us clues over time. So the more data points you have, the better you can use to kind of forecast or see how someone is changing. So for example, some athletes are really sensitive to changes and hormonal changes can indicate a risk of overtraining. And so we want to look at, you know, your blood and be predictive um, about what is going to go on in terms of like looking at your upcoming schedule. And the more data points we have, the better of a forecasting tool the blood becomes. So another example would be, you know, a baseline, if you have slightly low free testosterone, and it's 11, and it's totally fine. But if let's say we check up, you know, three months into your training, and now it's at six, this could be a red flag, and at least a point of discussion with your coach about, you know, training modifications for the next few weeks, or months, depending mm -hmm. on your situation. So it absolutely should be driving how you perform. And the other thing too, is a lot of athletes are spending tons of money on gear, on, you know, shoes and supplements and races. And all of these tools are not going to give you the best results if you don't know what's going on with your own unique physiology and you don't get that understanding of how these changes over time are due to your environment, your nutrition, your training. And everyone is different. So there's no way that you can learn these things by 
reading or looking things up because it's you as an individual. So, you know, it's kind of like if you have a race and, you know, you have the fastest bike or the fastest carbon plated shoes, but you're low in certain nutrients, you're never going to hit your full potential. And so, you know, in some ways, blood testing can save you a lot of money because now you're not buying unnecessary supplements that are not going to be helping you. And you can really just refine what it is that you do need, focus on that and, you know, leave the rest. Right, right. And I think you you bring up such a great point. Like I even, you know, looking back, if I would have been doing regular blood testing, there's a good chance we could have seen my vitamin D levels were low. And I could have avoided a stress fracture. Um, and, you know, I knew I was in phenomenal shape. Um, and I, you know, I wouldn't say I missed my window to go run another PR. Um, but, you know, it definitely like didn't, didn't line me up. And it just, you know, it was a high period of personal stress. When I got my stress fracture, my vitamin D levels were low. Like you just go, man, well, wish I would have caught that. And this is, this is a way to be able to do it. Um, and it's minimally invasive. I think, um, you know, and, and I think about this, right? The people go, okay, well, how much blood really gets taken out for, you know, the average test? How much is it going to affect me the next day? Um, and so I guess that's the, the the point and clear question. If I get if I get a blood test taken today, how much am I getting taken? It's not much. I can tell you that coming from someone who's very petite. <laughs> um, so like I, for example, I'm too small. I can't donate blood. Um, there's like a weight minimum. And so I don't meet that. And so for me to get blood testing, it's not a big deal. So for most people, it's a very small amount of blood and I hate needles too, but it's definitely worth it. It's so quick. It's, you know, very easy. And the other thing you can do too, is you can also do genetic testing, which is just a cheek swab. And so that's really nice because, you know, they'll mail the kit to your house. You just swab your cheek put it in the prepaid envelope and that's it. Like they'll, you know, send you your report via email and, or, you know, get a, a login for that. And so that's really cool too, because number one, no needles. Number two, you don't have to leave your house, but number three, it is um, kind of a bigger picture about how your nutrient tendencies tend to be. So if you tend to be high or low in things, and so you can get the blood and the genetic together. And that is really powerful because that, and I, that is our platinum mm. panel. And so that gives us the ability to create dietary strategies to tailor to each athlete because it's predictive. It's the roadmap that's going to prevent some common problems. And our testing methodology was developed to be a driver to your training, your nutrition, and your recovery, not as just a reaction to your symptoms, which might be the case for a lot of blood tests, because that's usually when athletes come to us as they're symptomatic. But um, but yeah, athlete blood test, I would say, is best used as kind of that foundation to create your training plan and nutrition and recovery and not just sort of a, a last-ditch effort. But Yes. Going back to your question about the blood, it's, it's very little. And, you know, you should only be getting it, you know, a few times a year too. It's not like you're having to go in and get tested every week or anything. And so I, I want to take a little bit of a, a personal turn here. And I want to talk about, you know, female athletes. You know, I think one of the things that, and, and especially as a male coach that, you know, I've had to learn how to, you know, 
speak about and speak to is menstruation. And I think it, it is a, it is something that requires, um, a good understanding of that, you know, yes, there's blood loss, there's, you know, everything that goes into that. It's like, we have to time training, you know, to really be able to, we can leverage that cycle. Um, we can actually use it to our benefit. It doesn't have to be seen as like, oh, I'm on my period. And it's like this, this bad thing, uh, we can actually use it as a, a a strategy. And so I think one of the things that, that kind of came into mind for me is that if I'm going to recommend an athlete get a blood test, where is that, where does that best fit in their, in their cycle, uh, in a, in a given four week cycle? That's a good question. So we recommend that they test on day three of their cycle, which is pretty easy. So that would just be the third day of their period. Um, and this is because we want to kind of standardize where they are in their cycle, because it's a little bit easier than for the athlete to track as well. Right. So it's pretty easy to figure out day three. But if it was a later date, it can be a little a little tricky. So day three is kind of a standard. And you see that in research studies as well. And this is really helpful because, like you said, we can now leverage, you know, the female physiology Mm. for our training. So it's important that we understand how to work with it instead of just trying to kind of like push through and sort of white knuckle your way through some workouts that if they were just placed in a different point in your cycle could have very different results in the outcome and how they felt and how they were able to perform the workout. You know, were they able to hit that pace? Were they able to, you know, complete the workout even? So um, it's really helpful that coaches, you know, are starting to understand more about female physiology. I know it's probably a little awkward or a little strange as a a man, (laughs) you know, not really being able to relate to that. No, it's, it's, it's really not. I mean, I can't personally relate to what they, you know, I, I, but I can empathize. I can, I can be an, an, an empathic coach. Like I can understand, you know, that, you know, there's discomfort that comes along with it, energy level and things like that. But when you look at it from a physiological perspective, it's something that we absolutely have to understand as coaches and those that, um, you know, that are, that are in a place where, you know, this is something worth doing the research on. This is something worth, um, you know, if you're not, you know, having a change in your training during those times, um, let's, let's talk about it. You know, let's find a coach, find somebody that's going to help you do that. Because just as you mentioned, pushing through that, uh, it's just, it's just an unnecessary grind. Um, when we could actually be getting a much larger benefit on the other side, um, of that. So I, um, I really, really appreciate that. I think, uh, one big thing that I've kind of found as a theme in the first little, uh, time we've had here together is that, a lot of this is predictive. A lot of this is things that once we acquire an information and, and trends, um, much like training, right? We can start to say, oh, if we know we're going to pick things up, you know, we gotta we gotta leverage our sleep just as much. We've gotta. This is something that that becomes a part of the picture that I don't think is there for a lot of athletes because, just like myself as an endurance coach, yeah. they see blood testing as well. That's only for pros. Um, so for, for kind of the average people, or maybe even our, our masters athletes, you know, those older athletes that are there, like what's the real benefit to be gained if they're not a pro? So that, I think this is a really good point and it's a misconception oftentimes that, you know, blood testing is just for Olympians and professionals. And it's only recently now that we are sort of bringing it to active individuals. So you know, I even work with, you know, athletes who don't define themselves as an athlete. They say, I'm just going to the gym every day. And I'm like, 
you're an athlete. Your body doesn't know if you're training for a, a race on the calendar or if you're just, you know, recreationally working out. Anytime you're consistently moving your body and, you know, going for some sort of physical endeavor, your body doesn't know the difference. So your body's going to be adapting to that. So there's a lot that can be, you know, gained from that. Like you, I think your point about the vitamin D is beautiful that, you know, you could have avoided that deficiency and potentially that stress fracture had we known that earlier. Um, so you can really get some insights into your nutrient levels. Um, so as a dietitian, I really enjoy working with the nutrient levels, you know, and how is your nutrition impacting your body? And how is your training impacting your body? You know, are you currently getting the training adaptations that you could potentially be from your workouts? Because we're all working out for different reasons, but no one is going out there just because they have nothing else to do. And so you want to make sure that whatever your goals are, that you're able to really get the most benefit out of whatever it is you're doing and to get the most enjoyment out of it too. Right. No, I, I, I hear that loud and clear. I think, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, that, that seek out coaching, that seek out blood testing, that seek these things, they're, they're not just type A people, they're lumped into that, but they're optimizers. So if you're someone that's out there, that's, that's always trying to, you know, maybe you like, you don't need the shoes, but you like the shoes because it's, it's cool technology. Um, you know, if you've got the newest Garmin watch, if you've got, you know, if you have those things because you love to optimize and not just have the best of the best per se, but, you know, be able to perform at your best, right? The, we, we always kind of talk about the idea of the best version of yourself. Like this is one of those easy optimizers. That's also right. It's, it's a life giving optimizer, much as a exercise is, is that this is an extender of life. Um, and I know one of the things that, um, you know, we, we haven't really touched on too much is the dietary side of things. Um, and as we kind of move towards that, I wanted to take a question that's kind of in the same way as our, um, our female athletes, but let's go to young female athletes. Um, you know, I, I coach a youth program called peak performance running. Um, and I work by majority. Um, I coach our high school program and our elite development program, which is called peak elite. Um, and I'm working with 14 to 17 years old and the amount of growth that happens in that window, it's like, they go from more of like a, a Peter Pan type body to, you know, they they start to get an increase in hormones. They actually get muscle, and it's like I've always described to them that they're they're gaining their superpowers as athletes. Um, but <laughs> but one of the things that can really be a struggle there, and is is the is the tough part of that growth and that that transition that can sometimes be a valley is we see anemia. Um, we, we start to see, you know, what falls into what we call red S or the relative is, let's see. Is yeah. Relative energy deficiency syndrome. Yeah. Uh, there we go. Um, we should have tried to get it in unison. No, um, <laughs> jokes aside, uh, you know, so red S it's like, it's, it's becoming more and more prevalent, unfortunately, because, um, you know, young female athletes have this struggle you know, whether it's physiologically or psychologically, that's like, if I keep it small and like everything, like I'm going to, you know, I can control that more. And that's definitely on the psychological side, but how can we, or I, as a coach from the, the actual blood testing perspective, you know, 
is this something that they should be doing at that age? Is this something where they're going to be actually be able to get a benefit that's going to help define the training load that I can give them safely? Yeah, we do work with younger athletes as well. I mean, primarily, you know, adults, I would say, you know, 18 and older, but, um, you know, you do see some, you know, younger athletes who they are very serious about their training and, you know, red S is definitely something you want to be watching for. And there are some things, you know, kind of some red flags in the blood work that I see primarily with women about, you know, are they potentially under fueling and you start to see changes in biomarkers Mm. with individuals where, you know, it just makes you question, are you getting enough nutrients to support your current training loads? So we don't diagnose reds with a blood test. um, But we can see some insight into what's going on in the body and how it's responding to not just training load, but also fueling and, and nutrition as well. So I think it's incredibly important for coaches to just kind of be aware of, you know, how their athletes are not just performing, but how are they feeling? How are they acting? Um, you know, especially like around food, because it can be a very challenging time, especially for, you know, pubescent girls going through all of those changes. Um, and so, you know, just to be kind of mindful and if they are suspicious or just wondering, you know, talking to them, um, potentially talking to their parents, depending on how old they are, um, just to make sure that they have all their bases covered because um, you can do some permanent damage sometimes with underfueling, especially at that age. Absolutely. I think um, I think it's just definitely something that you you have to, you know, kind of have your finger on. You need to be watching your athletes um, and not not like a hawk, but seeing if, you know, hey, that four mile run seems really hard as compared to you know, what it was earlier. And I think one of the things that I see as the biggest contributor um, to this is diet. You know, this is, and I think, you know, when I look at it from a broad spectrum, I think one of the reasons that um, I really have loved working alongside you guys is that your view of, you know, how do we change, how do we move the needle, uh, as I like to say, on, you know, (laughs) on on optimizing uh, is, through diet. It's diet first, supplementation second, um, because I, I think that we should be eating for our, our optimal health. Um, and f- so can you kind of explain, you know, kind of athlete blood tests view on that? Like if we're trying to move the needle on levels, is it always nutrition? It depends. We have a food first approach. So, you know, it sounds like we're on the same page there. And, you know, as a registered dietitian, I always recommend that people get as much from their food as possible. There are certain instances where a supplement is going to be necessary, depending on what the nutrient is and what their level is. So usually if someone is extremely low in something, a supplement's going to be helpful to get them at least up closer to that range. And then hopefully using food to kind of cross that finish line, if you will, into that ideal range um, to make sure that you're not over supplementing. Um, But for example, your vitamin D, it's almost impossible to get enough vitamin D from food alone. And, you know, we can get some from the sun as well, but depending on where you live. um, So for example, here in, in the Twin Cities in Minnesota, 
the angle of the sun is not steep enough October through April to get enough UV rays to produce vitamin D in the body. So even if it was 80 degrees in January and I went outside, I still wouldn't be able to get that vitamin D. So supplementing is really important for vitamin D for a lot of athletes um, for that reason. But yes, mostly relying on food. And if you are low in certain nutrients, we give you specific food recommendations for ways to get that up into that ideal range. And it's important too, to keep in mind that you don't develop a suboptimal level or even a deficiency within like a week. It takes time. And so it's really important to see that if you are low in certain nutrients, it means that generally you're going to have kind of a, a gap in your diet because you're not consistently getting these nutrients in, in enough, at least on a regular basis. So it's really helpful from a dietary perspective because now you can say, hmm, I've been really low in folate. I need to focus a little more on the leafy greens and maybe, you know, oranges or, you know, some citrus. Getting certain foods more priority in your diet versus um, others when it comes to specific nutrients. Does that then drive how we eat? You know, is that... Um, you had mentioned like genetic testing and I've seen people say, oh, well, I got genetic testing and I should eat more, you know, vegetarian diet or, you know, a ketogenic diet, uh, you know, a paleo diet. Like how, how is that driven through blood? Yeah. So blood can be, I would say blood isn't necessarily going to tell you like the type of diet you should be on. It's more that it's going to tell you if what you're currently doing how is that working for you? Um, and we clearly see this in the data that athletes are far often um, to, they're making critical decisions based on blind supplementation and blind, I would say, dieting, right? So they see some new supplement or diet and like, I'm going to do that. And again, every individual is different. And so the blood is going to tell us if what you're currently doing is working for you. So for example, you know, the vegetarian, some people do really well on that based on their genetic tendencies and other people, you know, they really struggle with that. And, and it's not just willpower, but like physically, it's not ideal for them. So this is where genetic testing comes into play. And this is going to suggest certain food types or nutrients that you will benefit from, from emphasizing in your diet. So I've had genetic testing and I tend to actually be really high in iron. So if I was, you know, following the general trends, be like, hey, okay, women need more iron. I'm an athlete. I need more iron in addition to that. You know, I would go out and buy an iron supplement and be having, you know, all the red meat. And and in reality, that could be really dangerous for me as an individual. So if I didn't have that information, I wouldn't know that. And I would be just blindly supplementing. So you want to be smart and use kind of the blood in conjunction with the genetics because together they can kind of show you, hey, genetic wise, here's what would be advantageous for you. And your blood's going to say, and this is where you are today. I love that. I love that. I'm a, I'm a 13 year vegetarian through complete blind experimentation. (laughs) Um, it's, it's, it's what works for me, but now I'm kind of curious. I'm like, Oh, maybe I need to try this genetic testing and see, you know, is that, is that real? Is that, um, you know, is there a way that I can even further optimize my diet? There is, um, I won't show you guys the, the, you know, the bag of mangoes off, off camera here. Uh, it's like my favorite thing. Um, but you know, they're so good. (laughs) Um, but you know, I, 
I think one of the things you touched on there is that through blind supplementation, um, we can put ourselves in a, in a, in a tough position. Um, but also with that, besides creating really expensive urine, um, because we don't absorb everything. And I think this is something I wanted to touch on. That's that, that's, that's kind of personal as I see a lot of people that are taking a lot of things. Um, and they don't, they may not need to be, and it is, it's, it's creating really expensive urine. So like for the average athlete, if you had to kind of just give a, a broad brushstroke, and I realize there's danger here, but some broad brushstrokes, what are, what are the things that tend to be really common? You know, we live personally, I live here in Colorado. A good number of our listeners are high altitude, um, people, um, or, you know, training the mountains and things like that. Um, so there's definitely, uh, some interesting things we could talk about, about blood there, but what, re- what are your general recommendations that you see as like low values for people that they were going to take some things? What would you recommend? Um, yeah. So assuming that they've, you know, had blood work done, um, cause mm. I would just, just, you know, I would recommend getting blood work done for anyone that's working out at least, you know, three times a week or more. Are you being physically active? Um, because again, you've mentioned expensive urine. It's like, you don't need to be taking probably most of the supplements that people are taking. Right. Um, you know, a lot of people will take a multi and then they'll hear about other things. They're like, well, I should be taking that. And I have clients who come to me with like bags of supplements. So as far as supplements are concerned, um, you know, we, we had kind of briefly uh, touched on, you know, a multivitamin and maybe a couple other things, but you see people starting to kind of add things in. Yeah. And it's, it's not necessarily essential. Um, and sometimes can be doing harm. So what I tell them is let's get some blood work, see what you need, focus on those, and you can leave the rest. Um, because you think about how much you could potentially spend on supplements over your lifetime, and it's thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars, depending on what you're taking. Because supplements are usually fairly pricey. And so, you know, most of those, they're not going to have any influence on your performance in a a positive may. Uh, sometimes they might even hold you back. If you're mm. starting to build up, you know, excess in the body, you can start to see symptoms from toxicity. So yeah, so instead of just generally supplementing, find out what you need. Usually, you know, some common things that I see in athletes will be um, vitamin D is usually sometimes low. Um, otherwise, magnesium, potassium is pretty common and sometimes folate as well. Um, and so it's really important that you're getting those usually from the diet is really important. Um, but, you know, depending on what the nutrient is will determine kind of the dose and how long you want to be on the supplement too. And we're very specific in terms of giving recommendations for supplements. We'll say, you know, take X many milligrams for, you know, X, you know, this time, you know, twice a day for three weeks or whatever. We're not just going to say, hey, you know, Andrew, take a vitamin D supplement and you're supposed to figure out how much and for how long. We're really specific with that. So, you know, we'll give you, you know, for vitamin D, take a thousand IU every day for two weeks, then, you know, every other day for three weeks and then discontinue or whatever. So we're really specific and you don't have to be figuring this stuff out on your own. So. And are all supplements really created equal? Is a thousand IU uh, vitamin D of a thousand IU, no matter where you buy it from? Not always. So supplements aren't regulated. And so you want to be careful when you're buying supplements. And we recommend getting them from, 
you know, a reputable source. We don't have any affiliations or ties with any supplement companies. So people are free to get whatever they want. You know, we're not making any money off of supplements. Um, but we do strongly encourage them to get um, supplements that are third party tested, especially if they're a competitive athlete. So if you're going to do any kind of race, then you want to make sure that it's tested for purity and it doesn't have any banned or illegal substances mixed in because there can be substances that are like legal in the government's eyes, but illegal for sports. So sticking to well-known brands and also brands that are, you know, tested by the, you know, anti-doping association yeah, as WADA well. And yeah. So WADA. Yeah. And, um, you know, just avoiding kind of obscure brands you've never heard of made in China kind of a thing. <laughs> um, probably best to stick to more common ones that are tested. You know, I think one of the things I wanted to do, um, because they can all be a little bit controversial. Um, and I think these, these things kind of fall into the, uh, you know, uh, expensive urine side of things. I wanted to take a chance to kind of go through a few supplements or things that tend to fall into the sports performance supplement world of things. And now I don't need to, uh, you know, give either of us career suicide here. So we're going to talk in general terms um, uh, about kind of some of these supplements and just to kind of move quickly through them. Um, I'm going to ask you about a few supplements and whether you think the there's actual benefit to be gained, there's no benefit to be gained, um, or if it's more or less just kind of a placebo. Um, so the first one up here, uh, beet juice. I would say there's potential, potential benefit here. Um, it depends okay. on the athlete. So something you want to keep in mind is, you know, this is going to increase nitric oxide in the body. And if as an athlete, you tend to be low in blood pressure and women, especially, so women are more likely to suffer from hypotension and, and this is because of estrogen. Estrogen has a pretty big effect on nitric oxide production. And so some women you may want to avoid beet juice. Um, but for most of the research studies, which are primarily done on men, um, then they do see an increase in improved endurance and reduced perceived exertion. It doesn't seem to help power. So if you're like, you know, it's an endurance podcast, so I figure most people are for the endurance, but Hey, for those two power lifters that are listening, you know, I, I don't think it's really going to help them, but from endurance side, yes, I think that the research is fairly consistent for men that it's beneficial. There we go. There we go. Protein powders. Doesn't matter. It could be whey. It could be soy. It could be pea protein. Overall, I would say that this is going to be a benefit. I would prefer that athletes get their protein from food. Um, however, I understand that <laughs> there's a time and a place where that's not realistic. So protein powders can absolutely be a nice addition to, I would say, a real food diet, um, especially, you know, in a time pinch. So yeah, it's a good Good. One. I love that. And as a nutritionist, sometimes you can only get it in through, you know, that's calories too. Exactly. Um, and we don't really see negative effects from excess protein either. You know, there's been some debate about, well, is excess protein bad for your kidneys or your bones? And mm -hmm. it doesn't damage your kidneys as long as you don't have a pre-existing kidney condition, and most people don't. Um, and 
you know, excess protein isn't detrimental to bone health as long as you have sufficient calcium, you know, to supply your bones with. So I'm not concerned if people are taking protein powder, as long as you're not, you know, taking it multiple times a day and you're displacing other real foods, then I would say, yeah, have that protein shake. Go for it. All right. Next one up here, BCAAs or branch chain amino acids. Oh, this is a popular one. So I think that there can be a minor benefit to branch chains. Um, Most of the time, it's completely unnecessary. So if you have sufficient protein intake, then you really don't need branch chains. Um, However, there is some literature showing that if you have suboptimal protein intake, that it can be beneficial, Um, especially like with endurance athletes. um, And for some of these really long workouts, it can be helpful. There isn't really a downside besides the cost of it. Um, So as long as you're not taking it, you know, sipping on it all day, every day, then I would say if you want to, you can. But if, you know, you don't want to, you're really not missing anything. Just have not missing anything. Yeah. All right. This one I think is, is, is more towards, uh, (laughs) more towards the geriatric population. I'm kidding. But glucosamine, I, you know, you. I remember, you know, growing up in the early 2000s, I felt like I saw it for whatever reason on in commercials a lot. Like it's like, oh, my joints they ache. <laughs> um, is is glucosamine like? Is this is this from a you know perspective of improving your blood performance? Is there anything really to be gained there? So if you look at the research, there is a minor benefit, and in athletes, it shows that it may help slow joint degradation. Um, so it's minor in terms of like the improvement. It's not like you're going to go from a crippled, you know, osteoarthritic yeah. individual to, you know, sprinting. But the research does show that there is some consistent minor benefits. So um, as long as it's dosed appropriately, I don't see a whole lot of issues. Um, some people have been concerned about, you know, potentially liver issues. But um, in the research, it shows that it could be helpful for, for your joints. So. Yeah, I would say that might be. It's a solid maybe. It's a, it's solid, a solid maybe, maybe. yeah. <laughs> um, and then what about individual amino acids? I see people that are like, oh, I take, I take L-carnitine. I don't need to take the BCAAs. I'm just going to take L-carnitine. So it, when you look at the research, there's a lot um, on the individual aminos, especially like L-carnitine. They've looked at a lot of different outcomes for supplementing. So it depends on what outcome you're looking for. But overall, if you look at the literature, it looks like there is a more positive effect than negative. It's usually minor benefits, but you know, if, especially if like you're at that top end, you're looking for marginal gains, 1%, 2% increase in your performance that can be a big difference. Um, you know, the difference between first and fifth place in an Ironman is 1%. So, right. Absolutely. So it's, it, it's enough. It's enough. It's a solid. Maybe that's enough. Yes. Um, so the last one here, um, it's where I stray away from my personal, uh, um, diet as a, as a, excuse me, a vegetarian, um, is actually in fish oil. Um, so is this something that you guys see as people needing in their diets more? Is there, is there a benefit to be gained by taking it? Yes. So I would say 
it's best to get it from fish because you're going to absorb it better. Um, however, generally speaking, for most individuals, I think they would benefit from taking a fish oil, especially as an athlete, you're going to be producing more oxidative damage in your body and more inflammation. And fish oil is rich in omega-3 fatty acids, and that controls a certain uh, inflammatory pathway that helps decrease the inflammation in the body. So taking a fish oil daily is more likely to help you than to be neutral or harmful. Am I going to be okay if I take it like as an Udo's oil 369? Yeah, I know that's very specific. Um, <laughs> but those, you know, omega-3, omega-6, omega-9 you know, is, is six better than three, better than nine? Like, you know, is there, or so am those, I just good taking my fish oil? Yeah. I mean, I think taking a fish oil would be fine. Most people get plenty of omega-9 and omega-6 in their diet. So it's usually the omega-3 that people are lacking in are very low. And some people will look at specific ratios of omega-3 to six. And yeah, most people are getting plenty of six, but very little omega-3. So Again, trying to just inc increase your food intake of those can also help as well. So if they do eat fish, then having the fatty fish. Otherwise, if you're not eating fish then or other seafood, then you know things like walnuts, flax seeds, chia seeds, hemp hearts, those are all going to give you some omega-3, not as much. Uh, fish is going to be richer in a type of omega-3 that's important for your brain called DHA. And... Um, so that's going to be the most kind of concentrated source, whereas the plant sources are a little bit higher in something called EPA and not quite as much mm. DHA. So, so fish does have, I would say, an advantage over plant sources of omega-3s. Um, so if you are open to it, I would opt for the fish, but you know, some, not everyone wants to do that. So then getting them from the plant sources will also work. I think the, the biggest thing from our discussion today as we close out is one, do the blood testing, get the information because having information uh, is always education, which means you can make better decisions. Better decisions ultimately lean to, you know, move the needle when it comes to that 1% or 5%. But I've seen athletes move the needle way more once we've even just achieved out of the, the you know, the valley they didn't know that they were in. Um, so as we close out, I want to make sure that people can kind of follow you, figure out, you know, where to, to find you. Um, as they all know by now, athletebloodtest.com um, is uh, where you work, uh, one of the many things that you do. But if, uh, if they're looking for you on Instagram, if they want to learn more about this kind of stuff, where can they find you? Yeah. So, um, athlete blood test is also on Instagram. I think it's athletebloodtest.com. Otherwise, if they want to reach out to me personally, I'm also on Instagram at Dr. Anna Roby. Um, it's just D R A N N A R O B Y. And that's also my website. So Dr. So I also work with athletes individually through my private practice, through nutrition and trying to get them to their, their best place. I love it. I love it. This has been a super fun conversation for me. I've got some questions answered, so it was a little bit self-serving. Um, but all, all, all things aside here, um, I'm actually really excited. I might just have to have you back on so we can break down the great debate of ketogenics versus vegetarian versus paleo and just put them all head to head and, and see who comes out on top. Um, you know, for endurance athletes, because it's the number one question that I get but I guess we'll have to wait for later to uh, answer that question. Yes, to be continued. Absolutely. 
Anna, I look forward to having you back on. Thanks for joining the Defining Endurance podcast, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon.